Amen. Amen to that. You may be seated, and as you take a seat, first through sixth graders uh, can go to their worship session with Pastor Susan and all her wonderful helpers. Uh, thank you all for uh, leading our children in meaningful worship experiences. Amen. Well, um, Rupert Neve died about a month or so ago at the age of 94. And my uh, friend, uh, Jorge Pastor, who pastors a church in Denia, Spain, wrote an article about him in a local newspaper. This is a column that he regularly writes. And, and he wrote about him. If you don't know who Rupert Neve is, he is an icon in the world of analog sound consoles. He is really the father of sound consoles, uh, a, a, a pioneer in this area. He grew up in Buenos Aires as a son of missionaries. And from a very early age, he began to tinker with electronics and put together devices. And in 1964, he introduced the first recording console to Philips Studios in Britain. He was a British American, an icon, a genius. People from pop and jazz and rap and all kinds of genres admire him uh, as the, the icon of analog recording consoles. But what caught my attention about the article that my friend wrote about him, because they were friends, is that he talked about not only his accomplishments, the Grammy that he received for his success, but he also talked about his failures, his struggles. And I thought that was interesting because I, as I looked up about uh, Rupert Neve uh, in other places, it listed all his successes, but there was not a whole lot of mention about his failures. And I thought that was interesting because I think that there's something about us that helps us to categorize people either as complete success and we put them on a pedestal or complete failures and we write them off. But that's not always the way life works, is it? That's not the way life is experienced. And, and the Bible acknowledges that. The Bible presents to us when it talks to us about people of faith, it presents to us the high moments of people's lives as well as the very low moments. When you look at Abraham, you see the best of Abraham and you see the worst of Abraham. And so with Jacob and with King David and with Peter. And so as we continue in this series, uh, this brief series in the selected Psalms that we started last week, Frank did such an Awesome job of introducing us to Psalm 1. Now we come to another psalm. This series is called Restoration. We're talking about God's restoration individually and as a church in a time of, of loss or after a time of loss. And we come today to a psalm, a lament psalm. And we, we're calling the message despair because that's what the psalmist expresses here. And I, I'd like to invite you to go with me to Psalm 13 as we read this, this brief poem, uh, Psalm 13, and it reads like this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me 
and answer me, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. We're not certain, at least not 100% of who the poet is here. There's an indication that it might be David. We're not really sure, but what we can be sure about is that he's feeling down. There is a sense of, of feeling abandoned and forsaken. That's what this poet is experiencing. And that's a common experience for many of us, isn't it? We all go through difficult periods in our lives, times of deep sorrow and grief. Each of us at, at one moment or another have felt far away from God, if we're honest. This is a lament, and it speaks to us today, maybe because of something you went through, something you're going through right now, or, or you're about to go to. And the first thing that stands out to me is that lament is offered here as worship to God, as a worship response. You might know that the book of Psalms is a book of songs. It is a, a book of worship songs that the Hebrews had compiled over generations, just like a hymnal, if you're familiar with church hymnals, it's, it's a compilation of songs of different tunes and lyrics written by different people at different time periods. Uh, those of us in a digital world will call that a song library, that, that we accumulate songs, um, oldies but goodies, and then some newer songs. And, 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 and this is a, a collection of worship Songs. It, it is the, the songs that the Hebrews used in their worship of God. <clears throat> and when you look at the book of Psalms, you will find songs of praise, that, that praise God, that celebrate God. You will find songs of thanksgiving, that thank him for something he's done and the way he's delivered us. That you'll find songs of faith where the psalmist says, you are my rock and, and my salvation. And and he thanks God and he has his confidence placed in God. And there are songs of uh, royal songs that, that talk about coronation of kings or the coming of kings. And then a great portion of the Psalms are songs of lament. Out of the 150 Psalms, 56 of them are lament. Think about that for a moment. Over one-third of the hymnal of the Hebrews are sad songs. Now, what would you think if you went to church on Sunday morning and one-third of the songs we sang were sad songs? You said, oh, man, I didn't come for that. I was already depressed before I came to church. I, I come to church to feel good. I want to hear happy songs, songs that make me tap my feet and clap my hands and smile, but it's interesting that in the only Holy Spirit-inspired hymnal that we have, over one-third of it are songs of despair and sorrow. It teaches us something about worship, doesn't it? That worship is not about making us feel good or making us feel happy. That worship is not a pep rally to get us psyched up 
that worship is about offering ourselves just as we are to God. That, that, that worship is about bringing to God everything and being honest with him. And sometimes our best worship is offering God our sorrow and our grief. You know, we have a hard time with that in some of our cultures, right? Because we're taught not to show emotions. We're, we're taught to keep it in. We're, you know, some of our cultures tell, you know, little boys don't cry, you know? And even adults apologize when they shed a tear. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, one of the fixed things in my office are a box of tissues. And every time people come to my office, they use a tissue, but they apologize. And I want to say so badly, why are you apologizing? Because you're human? Because you're not a robot? Because you have feelings? You know, other cultures understand this, the importance of grief and sorrow and lament in regard to the sacred. A Native American poet wrote this. He said, grief expressed out loud for someone we have lost or a country or a home we have lost is in itself the greatest praise we could ever give them. Grief is praise, he says, because it is a natural way it honors what it misses. But this connection of grief with praise, this connection of lament with worship is not just present in non-Christian cultures. I think it's present here in the Bible. One of the uh, Bible commentators, as he writes about the lament, he says this, it's really interesting. He says, speech is fundamental to the creative activity of God and the speech of the creature, that's us, if it is to be proper, must be marked by the characteristics of the creator's speech. God's speech is pure, free from falsity or impairment. Human speech should also be pure. Wow. What an empowering, liberating truth this is. That, that our lament can be brought to God as a valid form of worship. We don't have to fake it, church. We don't have to fabricate something that is not. It is, lament is free from pretense. It is pure and honest. It bears the naked soul before the creator says, God, here I am, torn apart, raw. A few years ago, there was a song out there, a Christian song, that some people really think it's a weird song because it's called Better Than a Hallelujah. And when you hear the lyrics, you, you say, well, what's that about? It says, God loves a lullaby in a mother's tears in the dead of night, better than a hallelujah sometimes. God loves a drunkard's cry, the soldiers flee not to let him die, better than a hallelujah sometimes. We pour out our miseries, God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are, the honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah. The woman, the woman holding on for life, the dying man giving up the fight, are better than a hallelujah sometimes. The tears of shame for what's been done, the silence when words won't come, are better than a hallelujah sometimes. We pour out our miseries, God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are, the honest cries of breaking hearts, are better than a hallelujah. And whatever else you might think about the song, I think it gets the fact that our worship ought to bring honesty before God. That sometimes God 
would rather hear the truth of our brokenness than a fake praise the Lord. And so the psalmist in this unconventional way for us Western evangelicals is worshiping when he says, how long? How long will you forget me? How long will you leave me in this mess? How long will you not hear my cry? That's an act of worship. It is not just a protest. It is not an expression of disbelief. It is an anguish and a longing to the creator that says, this is how I feel right now. And I know that you're big enough to handle it. Lament. That's a worship response. And also lament as a health restoration. We don't know specifically why this poet is feeling the way he is. We don't know if it's an illness. Perhaps he's on his deathbed. And the enemy that he talks about is, is a personalized form of death. We do know that he's wrestling with his thoughts. He, his mind is working against him, he says. Something inside him wants to, to go on. Something inside him wants to live. But, but there's something inside him that is also struggling, betraying him. There's a, a beloved member of my extended family, a woman who I've admired all my life, loves the Lord, a woman of prayer, a woman who knows the scriptures better than I do, who taught me with her example, her testimony. During this year of the pandemic, she felt isolated. Then she lost a, a loved one. And then she had some physical ailments. And all of it came to head. And she fell into a very difficult emotional state that she'd never experienced before. As I talked to her recently, she said, I never thought that a Christian could feel that way. We have Jesus and we have the Bible and, and, and we have salvation that's given to us by grace. I never thought that a Christian could feel that way. She goes, but I was so afraid to go to sleep at night. And I would get up in the morning with a sense of, of meaninglessness. And I would open up the Bible and I would read and read and read. And it was like a zombie. It just wouldn't do anything. And day after day, week after week, I wanted to cry out to someone. And I didn't know who. She eventually got some professional help and people who loved her prayed for her. And she came out of that situation. But that's exactly what this poet is experiencing in verses three and four. He says, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. This worshiper cries out in desperation to the Lord. His eyes are darkened by the prospect of death, his spirit is discouraged by the possibility of defeat. The enemy is so large, he can't even get the strength to fight. You know, we're, one of the things that, that I love about the Hebrew mindset is that they saw people as a whole. The Greeks divided the person into physical and spiritual and, and, you know, and intellectual and so forth. But Hebrews understood the person as a whole. The word shalom, which is a word for peace, is a word for wholeness. And there's a sense in which all of us, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional struggles, all of it affects us. 
The, the physical effects are emotional and the emotional affects the, the mental and the mental affects the physical and it's all interrelated. And healing in one brings healing to the other. Healing begins when we acknowledge that something is wrong. Health cannot be restored emotionally or physically or spiritually unless we're willing to confess that we're not healthy, that, that all is not well. There's a theology out there, a misplaced theology that says that you can create reality with your words. If you declare it, it will come to be as if we were God. And so people say, you know, you just, just claim it, just declare it and, and you're gonna create that. And the same theology teaches that if you acknowledge something wrong, that then it's gonna to come to pass. So that's why you don't say negative things. You, that's why you don't use the word cancer or depression or, or, or whatever it is that is going on in your life because it will come to happen to you. Well, listen, reality is not a result of your words. Words are important, don't get me wrong. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us to be honest. The Bible teaches us there's only one whose word can create, and it's God. And we come to him and we declare to him our situation. The Bible teaches us to acknowledge our need, to confess our brokenness. The Bible teaches us that, that lament is a path to healing. It's no wonder that the world is filled with sad songs. Country music has its share of heartbreaks and disappointments, right? The radio plays songs that are sad and people like to hear them. Elton John told us, guess there are times when we all need to share a little pain and ironing out the rough spots is the hardest part when memories remain and it's time like these when we all need to hear the radio. Because from the lips of some old singer we can share the troubles we already know. Turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When all hope is gone, why don't you tune in and turn them on, they reach into your room just feel their gentle touch. When all hope is gone, sad songs say so much. If someone else is suffering enough to write it down, when every single word makes sense, then it's easier to have those songs around. The kicking side is the line that finally gets to you. And it feels so good to hurt so bad and suffer just enough to sing the blues. So turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs when all hope is gone. Why don't you tune in and turn them on? I saw some of you kind of singing them in your head. <laughs> Sad songs help people process their emotions. Sad songs help people begin the process of emotional healing. And the difference between the sad songs of the world and the laments of the Bible is that the laments of the Bible take their sadness straight to God. It doesn't stay in the mess. It doesn't just keep going round and round, but it goes to God. Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Back in December, one of our dear families, the Brana family, uh, experienced the, the COVID thing. And Roland, one uh, sort of a patriarch of the family, uh, beloved man, uh, was so sick with COVID that he had to be hospitalized right before Christmas. He had to be intubated. 
and things were really, really difficult, really bad. And, and, and during that time, during those many days that he was in the hospital, uh, he got a stroke that made things worse. And then they thought, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get out New Year's. Maybe he'll get out by the end of January. Maybe he'll get out by Valentine's. But he stayed in the hospital. But while this was going on, some friends and family said, well, we can't go into the hospital to see him. He, he, he's struggling with this. But we can FaceTime. And so they decided to do something. Every day at 6 a.m., this group of family and friends FaceTimed or Zoomed rather, and they took a phone into his room at 6 a.m. every day so that he could see that other people were praying for him. Seven days a week, 6 a.m. and 8 p.m., a group praying for him, praying for him. Sometimes he, you couldn't see that he was even conscious, but they prayed over him. There were some times where, where he would open his eyes and there was a glimmer of hope. After some weeks, there were some times where he would move his mouth like he was trying to talk. For all those days, these people prayed for him. They took their lament. They called it what it is. And they asked God for help. And eventually he came home. He's home today. And he's recovering. It's a long road ahead with the stroke rehab. But they took their lament to God and they began to experience the healing and the restoration. And that's what happens. We bring our lament to God. We confess our brokenness, our need, our insufficiency to him. And we open up ourselves to his healing. And then we see lament as a relationship redemption too. The poet's struggle was, was very real. He experienced despair. His lament longs for redemption. It's not really a thing or an event that he's looking for. It's a person. What, what he really hurts for in his sadness is for the presence of God. And that's why we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's what we long for above all things. He longs for the relationship with the one who can redeem every area of our lives. And it is there that despair turns to hope. It is here that a dim light begins to pierce the darkness of his condition. Verse 5 again. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. In the midst of his despair. As he verbalizes his lament to God, he's reminded of God's unfailing love, his loving kindness, in spite of his situation, in spite of the way he feels, in spite of his circumstances, God's love never fails. The psalmist may not feel the love right now, but he's experienced it in the past and he's convinced if he saved me before, he can save me again. And in faith, he declares that he will sing a song of praise when the Lord delivers him. That's the tense of that verse. I will sing a song of praise when you deliver me. It is, it is a future declaration. Right now, I'm singing a sad song, but there's gonna come a day where I'm gonna sing a happy song. 
The psalmist elsewhere said, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When we look back at the redemptive work of Christ, we know that sometimes it feels like Friday night, but Sundays are coming. There's no indication here that the painful situation that the psalmist finds himself in is a result of his sin, that is God's judgment. Sometimes believers suffer because, not because they've done something wrong. Sometimes believers go through the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, not, not because they have sinned. Last Sunday, when Frank talked to us about Psalm 1, about the blessed man who meditates on the word of God day and night, is like a tree planted by the streams of water, brings forth fruit in his season, and then the wicked one who is like the shaft, like the straw that the wind blows away. It's the contrast between the blessed man and the wicked man. And the danger, when we look at that psalm that is all 100% true, the danger is that we would oversimplify it and think, well, if you trust God and you read your Bible, everything's gonna be all right all the time. And bad people are always gonna be in trouble. That's a misunderstanding of that theology. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes good things happen to bad people. But what Psalm 1 in the Bible reminds us of, that's just temporary. There is a God who in due time will make everything right by his grace through his justice. It's also true that sometimes we find ourselves at the bottom of the pit because of something we did. Not always. I'm not saying that every time something goes wrong in your life, God is punishing you, so stop thinking that. But you should ask yourself sometimes if the situation you find yourself in is a result of your sin. And whether it is because of your sin or, or not, the truth is that the salvation is found in the same God whose love is unfailing. Redemption is based on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And what the poet teaches us today is that the road to relationship redemption begins with lament. It begins at a place of brokenness. It begins where we are undone, when we realize that he's God and we're not. There is no resurrection without the crucifixion. There is no restoration without reconciliation. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There's no glory without suffering. The biblical poet teaches us that lament is a response to worship. It is a health restoration, a relationship redemption. Despair, sorrow, grief, loneliness are normal human experiences and we bring him to God because he can handle it. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Mikey Gatan is one of the young adults in our church and I've watched her since she was in middle school, grow up, graduate from high school and then go on to college. And as I had conversations with her years ago, I remember going to the Philippines on a mission trip with her and 
talking about her plans and her dreams. And she said, you know, when I, when I graduate from college, I would like to go to medical school. And I began to call her Dr. Gatan. And she would just kind of smile and lower her head. And I said, yeah, I'm going to start calling you Dr. Gatan. And so she came to the point of graduating from college in 2019. And, and she applied to three medical schools, excellent grades, excellent test scores, extracurricular activities. I mean, just a pristine resume. And she waited. You know how medical schools are. They make you wait. And she waited. And she waited. 2020 came with all of the wonderful things that 2020 brought. And she got two letters of rejection and one waitlisted. While she saw perhaps people that she knew that didn't have such good grades and such good test scores get in some of these schools. And the questions began to come. She, she journaled. In, in her journal, she wrote at some point in her waiting, God, I don't know if I can wait any longer. Then towards the end of 2020, she applied to another medical school in El Paso. And as soon as they received the application, she was, she was admitted immediately. And to her dad's delight, and her mom's delight that's here, not only did she get admitted, she got a huge scholarship. But it took over a year of waiting and questioning and wondering what God wanted to do in her life. That's the toughest thing to do. That's when the psalmist says, how long? How much more should I wait? Sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's a decade, sometimes it's a lifetime. As God's people, sometimes we will experience failure, sorrow, and despair before we can experience full restoration. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do today. To take your despair, your sorrow, your failure to God as an act of worship. There's a song that says, count your blessings, count them by one, one by one. That's a good song. But we need a song that says, count your losses. Sometimes we just need to call it out and say, this is what I've lost. This is, this is where I am. And I'm going to list it as an act of worship before you, God. Maybe that's what you need to do today. I want to invite you also to come in brokenness and complete honesty, seeking redemption. Here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to have it all together. You, you, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to work it up. God wants to take your brokenness and make something beautiful out of you. He can take that clay and make a beautiful pot that brings glory to him. So whether you've ever met Jesus Christ or not, today I invite you in his name to bring your broken pieces and experience his redemption. Would you stand with me as we pray? Would you bow your head? Father, we thank you today for the honesty of the poet in the Psalms who experienced despair 
and loneliness, alienation. But put his trust in you because of your unfailing love, your loving kindness. God, help us to fall on that today. Whether for the first time, if there's someone here or watching on our live stream who's never brought their broken life to you for forgiveness and redemption for eternal life, that today would be the day that they would trust what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection power. They would confess it right now before you in faith. And those that already know you but are experiencing hardship and sorrow, grief right now, help us to bring it to you and to trust you with it. It's an act of worship and faith. In the name of Jesus.